All right, guys. Welcome back to the Flag Cutting Podcast. My name is Chris, and as always, we are joined by Ian, and we are here to talk, uh, break down, obviously, the PGA Championship, and then we will jump right into uh, Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial. Um, so, Ian, let's start off first by talking about the PGA Championship, which was taken down by Liv. Man, we had two guys uh, kind of in the mix for a lot of the, I guess, most of the tournament. Um, yeah. And then, uh, obviously, you know, you got guys like Scotty and Victor Hovland up there. Um, Rory kind of stuck back in for a little bit. So, overall, it, it felt like a pretty, really fun leaderboard. But when it came down to it, Brooks Kepko was the man to beat. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess what were your kind of takeaways from, from this weekend? Yeah, a lot to say. A lot to say, as Chris said. First uh, major championship for Liv and just, I guess, second, like, full start, I would say, like, with their entire roster uh, kind of representing them on the golf course. Funnily enough, it came from the guy that I believe is the only guy not to wear his team logo on his uh, on his shirt. If you noticed, uh, like, Bryson had his Crushers logo and DJ has his Four Aces stuff on. Cam Smith had his Smash GC or whatever they're called. Um, but Brooks, I think even before the Masters said, that's not what this is about for me. I want to go out and, you know, just represent the tournament. I don't really care about <laughs> he's like he's I mean, he doesn't represent anybody, he just represents Brooks Kepka. So um went out in the in the classic Nike strip and man, it's um yeah, a lot of talking points. But I know NASCAR had a bit of a throwback weekend um with North with North Wilkesboro. It felt very much like a throwback weekend on the PJ tour as well. I mean, it felt like 2018, 2019 was back upon us. Brooks Kepka at majors, the whole narrative, everything you've heard, uh, it's it's back. I mean, we're 2023, but this dude is a scary motherfucker when it comes to these tournaments. And um, you know, started the start of the week off very much like our headline pick. You know, Rory and him were start 71, 72, I believe, in the same group, or maybe they're like separated by one group, but they're in the same uh, same wave. And Kepka came out on Friday, 66, 66, 67. Uh, around a really tough golf course and the most difficult conditions, especially on that Friday, Saturday, where he really separated himself. So, uh, yeah, not much to say. I mean, we, we knew that if Brooks brought his A game, um, I mean, this was always in the cards. I was I was obviously, you know, one of the, I guess, the last to subscribe to the Brooks' back narrative. Uh, but I don't think anyone can obviously say any different at this point. It's it's crazy to think. I mean, we all watch full swing, right? Um I guess it, it debuted at the start of the year and episode two was on Brooks and, you know, it took you back to the 2020 masters when he was sitting 13 months ago from, I mean, from where we sit right now um, at Augusta with his team after I believe his first round, I think he shot like 74 at Augusta. Scotty went out there and shot like 64. Um, and he told his team point blank. He, he said verbatim quote unquote, I don't know if I can compete with these guys, which coming from a guy like Kepka who, is I mean I can think now officially probably the most successful major player since Tiger Woods himself uh, in this post Tiger era past like 2008. Uh, it's kept at five and then you know there's a couple of guys there's Rory at four and then Spieth at three. Um, I might be forgetting one or two other names in there as well. But Kepka now um, for that two year stretch he was the baddest man on the planet, number one golf in the world, four majors in the space of uh, you know just under two years or just over two years. So to hear him say that, you know, as a golf fan was was quite jarring. And I think that might have had a bit of an effect on kind of just my perception of Brooks. And, um, you know, that coupled with the fact that when he's gotten to position at some of these recent majors, you know, it's not like he's had no major success since his kind of fall off, um, but had a 
really bad final round at Harding Park. If you remember when Colin Morikawa won, when he actually went out of his way to kind of uh, slate and berate, not berate, but, you know, kind of remind everyone uh, the day before or heading into Sunday kind of who the top dog was. You know, I think the question was asked about, you know, DJ having to catch DJ for a major championship with a 50 hole whole lead. And I think his quote was something along the lines with, you know, he's only got one, I've got four. So I'm not really too worried about that. Obviously, the next year, Kiwa Island, final group, final group with Phil. Uh, Phil came into the tournament as a 301 long shot. Kepka was the odds-on favorite to to take that down. Shoots 73-74 on the day, and Phil wins by two. And then, obviously, most recently, John Rahm. Um, he held a four-shot lead over John Rahm on the seventh green uh, on Saturday. Uh, ends up losing by four. Doesn't really make it much of a challenge for Rahm down the stretch, so he kind of folded a little bit there. So, that was kind of a lot of my reasoning was just the fact that it's been so long since we've seen Brooks put together four rounds in conditions like this. Obviously, you know, he's capable. Um, wasn't willing to swallow the 20 or 22 to one. Um, but for those of you, for those of y'all that did, um, yeah, really well done because as uh, if you looked at, if you take an any kind of look at the golf futures market heading into the U S open, uh, I don't think it'll be quite a while. I think until we get a Brooks Kepka uh, 22 or 25 to one. So cool to see that a lot of the industry cashed in on, um, on a ticket like that and got kind of got him kind of at this high point. Um, I know there were some pretty ridiculous masters futures out there, but um, for you to get a 25 to one on Kepka definitely looks a bit silly um, in retrospect. So um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, he was a man amongst boys. I think, I think Kepka did benefit a little bit by um, not getting paired with Scotty. I would have really liked to see if Scotty had just held serve on Saturday and not went four over through his first seven, um, I know we're talking hypotheticals here, but I think there is something to be said for Brooks kind of being paired with Hovland in the final group and kind of knowing that he's he's the man and knowing that, like, the guy that he's paired with, he's never been here before. And Kepka kind of knows what it's like that, coupled with the, the lessons that he said he learned um, on Master Sunday. I'm sure played a, played a large role as well. So, um, once again, I think we, we've gotten really, really close a couple times now on the first two majors to maybe getting a Rom-Scheffler duel at the Masters, Rom-Kepka, Scheffler. Uh, and then obviously the PGA, I thought Sheffield was the second best player in the field for most of the week. Um, so I wish we could have gotten a bit more push there, but Hoblin played really, really well. Was really impressed with Hoblin's game all around. Gained 10.2 shots on approach. Actually gained around the greens and on the greens too. So it was actually the driver for Hoblin that kind of got him into trouble. And then kind of the final nail in the coffin was driving in the bunker on 16. The same bunker Corey Connors made double from on Saturday. Victor plugs in the face, makes double as well. And that was pretty much uh, good ridden. So yeah, I mean, last three majors for Hovland. He's final grouped at the PGA, uh, penultimate group at the Masters, final group at the Open. So, again, that was another one where I felt a little bit silly, passing on the 35-1 to 1 on a guy that is very clearly fig- figuring these kind of conditions out. Um, so that was really cool to see because we're big Victor guys on this show. And um, for sentimental reasons, I wanted him to, to obviously pull through. But, yeah, there was no stop and kept getting felt like um, he was kind of the adult um in the room there for most of that weekend. So um, I know you were in Wilkesboro for a lot of the Sunday, Chris, but uh, feel free to, to chime in with, with what you, you have to say, but uh, that's, that's all I got for Brooks Kepka and uh, his coronation at, at Oak Hill. Yeah. I guess the only comment I really have is, so obviously I was at Wilkesboro. I had barely any signal all day long um, up in the mountains there. If, if you don't have AT&T uh, you're kind of shit out of luck. Uh, AT&T reigns supreme up there, but um yeah, so the only really update I had the entire day was was me and Skybox. We 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 sit down and uh, 
in our seats getting ready for the race, you know, at 4.35 o'clock. And he gets a text from one of his buddies that says, Liv is going to take this thing down. And I'm thinking, like, well, who's who's he referencing in Liv? Because we have Bryson. Like, we had a live out on Bryson. Sure, yep. um, so like that's the only information I had was, like, oh, Liv's going to take this down. <laughs> So me and Mark were like, kind of for a second, like, oh shit, are we about to cash a hundred to one live ad ticket? So we were both for a few seconds, kind of on top of the world, and we realized, oh, it's it's Brooks. It's, it's um, yeah. But I guess to kind of spearhead this live conversation, um, you know how I know that the from a data perspective, right? You don't really have all the information at hand for the live tournament. So I guess you know, obviously, we we did add Bryson, we had like interested pre-tournament in Bryson, but you know how going forward. I mean, you already referenced too that Brooks is probably dead and gone from like being able to bet him. His numbers are going to be probably pretty stupid. But you know, how do you how do you think you plan on going forward, like assessing these guys, um, mm-hmm. kind of leading in? I mean, now you do have two data points, right? But that's really all you're going to have. So, I mean, do you already have a plan? Or I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really prepare you for this question, so you might not have a good answer here. But yeah. I guess I just kind of want to know how you how you're going to present these guys coming forward as we see them again. No, for sure. I think, I mean, that's, that is the question, right? We're going towards the major championships. We've, a lot of us in the golf betting industry and golf tout industry have kind of just written off live um, as being an exhibition league. And these guys signed up and uh, they basically, you know, they got their nest egg and now they are just going to be relevant for the rest of their careers. Right. That's very clearly not, not the case, but the good news I think for all of us is that, yeah, the live players have done surprisingly well, but the players that have done well in these major championships are, also the players that like we would have have expected to do well, right. It's not like the Neiman's and the Mito's and the Gooch's, right. Like the mid tier guys, it's been your, your top class guys. And I feel like with guys like Brooks and guys like Cam Smith and DJ, uh, even Patrick Reed, Phil, like we know enough about their games from the years they've had on the PJ tour. I mean, based on what I've been seeing from all four of them, five of them, um, there's not much that's really changed in their profiles. So I think, um if anything it just gains you a bit more trust in knowing that okay like these guys even though we don't have the data points of you know 20 30 pj tour starts we know pretty much what their strengths and weaknesses are um they were stars for a reason we know what they um kind of excel at so uh for me it's it's it, it just opens up more possibilities because now um not just brooks winning but bryson finishing t4 at a venue that he very clearly fit really well um, Patrick Reed, uh, sneaking into a top 10. I mean, I think he finished top five or top 10 at Augusta as well. So that's two top tens for Reed, uh, two difficult golf courses, difficult venues. I feel like he might be a bit undervalued, um, or he has definitely been a bit undervalued in the pre-tournament market. Some of the placement markets for sure. Um, Cam Smith, I thought was one of the, one of the biggest surprises of the week. Ended up finishing T9, uh, gained, and he did that, I think by losing two or two and a half strokes off the tee, but you know, kind of rescued it back like Cam Smith is prone to do with the iron play, the short game, and the putter. Um, so that was a big surprise for me, and um, he was one of my main fades. Obviously, did not go well. I think he shot like six under par on on Sunday um, to to kind of rescue that top ten. So yeah, for me, I mean, it, it just it, there's not much you can take from Liv. There's just no stats. I mean, it's it's very tough to get data outside of like basic fairway percentage, and I'm sure you can find like GR percentage somewhere. Um, but yeah, as we go to some of these venues and, you know, if a guy you feel like fits a um, particular venue well, there's no reason really to go against the grain and, um, and completely write him off just because of a lack of, you know, recent form. So, um, I mean, notably, it, it does feel like as the season has kind of come into the fold, 
Um, I mean, we saw Dustin Johnson win his last start on live um, before the PGA. We saw Brooks win his last start uh, before the Masters. Cam Smith came runner up to GJ and Tulsa as well. Um, Reed's had some solid finishes. Um, Bryson, I think, finished T, uh, T7, his best result on live. Um for, for a few months before the PJ championship. So we, so we've seen some signs of life and obviously we're not going to get strokes gained data and not really get a ton of context behind those results. Uh, but you can trust that, you know, if a guy's playing well and finishing inside the top five on, on live the, the, the caliber, the strength of field is, is good enough now to where, um, you know, it's a respectable data point at least to show a bit of trend uh, in a positive direction. So um, yeah, LACC is going to be a lot of fun to be honest. And it's coming up and just, uh, just about a month or so, if I can pull up the PJ Tour schedule. I know it's obviously Colonial this week, then Memorial, uh, then the Canadian, then the U.S. Open. So we've got a really, really nice stretch of golf for um, of my favorite events really of the year coming up in the next month or so. So um, LACC is going to be a lot of fun. Um, obviously, a, a venue that has never have really has had never had any interest in hosting an event like this. So to see like a, another George Thomas design. Uh, one of the st- most storied architects on the West Coast in LA, specifically, um, a venue like that uh, on the caliber of like a Riviera or Bel Air hosting uh, US Open is going to be awesome. So, um, yeah, Rom Kepka, first two major championships, uh, chalk, chalk. So, um, not really too much surprises there. But um, yeah, we'll try to, we'll go again in, at LACC and try to nab another one. Absolutely. So, I guess with that being said, you kind of preface. Uh, the colonial this week so you know this is this is a tournament that i feel like you reference i hear you reference all the time so one that i feel like you're uh pretty juiced for but yes yeah, to kind of give a quick intro here we are going to the charles Schw- charles schwab challenge um, at colonial country club in fort worth texas um obviously last year's winner was was sam burns i was trying to go back and look to see what our do you remember who we bet on last year because i feel like we had somebody in the mix last year but uh I'll be honest, Chris. I don't think we did very well last year. Here, really? Uh, but I, so I, um, no, we had Colin and Victor last year, and uh, Victor was doing well until the winds kicked up, and then he proceeded to immediately fold. That's uh, right. Yeah. So we had we had Victor. He was, I think, heading into the weekend. He was a uh, one of the top like three or four favorites heading in. Um, and then, yeah, when the winds blow and Hovland has to rely on the short game, uh, spells a little bit of trouble. So that was maybe what you're thinking of. But I all I remember is. Um, is actually, you know, fast forward to our NASCAR show this week, but the Coke 600 was in town. We had our boy Derek in town this time last year. We were yeah. at the bar. Uh, he was he was ready to go to Charlotte um, kind of after we got done golfing. And all I saw was Sam Burns making birdie after birdie on on Sunday and knowing that he was like 50 to 1, 60 to 1 Sunday morning and seeing that number just plummet as I was eating my burger. Um, didn't expect, obviously, him to go ahead and win. Um, but obviously the conditions, the weather conditions played in his favor and, uh, he was able to hold up another huge putt in the playoff to beat Scotty Scheffler, um, that week. So yeah, it's been, it's, I mean, I'll just go right into it. I mean, colonial country club, Fort Worth, Texas, like Chris said, just about three minutes, excuse me, down the road from, um, Texas Christian university. Uh, although it's not their home course, but yeah, it's, I mean, literally the walking distance, Tom Hoagie has referenced the fact that. Um, you know, he used to go to this tournament every single year when he was a member of the uh, Horn Frogs golf team. Um, but it is a par 70 plays just over 7,200 yards. It's one of the more historic uh, venues on the PGA tour. Uh, we've been coming to colonial under one sponsor or another since 1946. Uh, so to Chris's point about me being, um, pretty well informed on kind of what the deal is around colonial. 
uh, it's it's hard not to be with this much with this big of a sample size. Not very often that we go to uh, the same venue nonstop for closing on 80 years now. Um, so as you'd expect uh, from a venue like this, it's uh, Colonial is a bit of a throwback design. It's short, it's positional, uh, defends itself with some of the small screen complexes on tour. If that sounds familiar, uh, we've talked about a couple courses with this, with this exact same parameters already in 2023. Uh, this is very much, in my opinion, the Texas version of like a Harbor Town or a Pebble Beach. Um, and so, yeah, when Chris alludes to me referencing this um, track at in other points of the season, it's very often when we get to these kind of short southeastern golf courses uh, where position off the tee and iron play are going to be paramount. Um, as Chris alluded to earlier, again, past champions, 2022 the defending champion is Sam Burns, won at minus nine in a playoff over Scotty Scheffler. Uh, the year before that, Jason Kokrak won at 14 under over Jordan Spieth. Uh, 2020, Daniel Berger at 15 under par beat Colin Morikawa in a playoff in one of the most heartbreaking losses of my entire life. That was before Chris started betting golf with me, but um, if yeah, those of y'all obviously that, that know the PGA Tour know that Colin missed about a two-and-a-half-foot putt uh, for par to extend the playoff, lipped it out, and I was at work at the time and collapsed on the floor <laughs> face first. Uh, so that was one of many, many, um, yeah, painful memories that Colin has given me, but uh, neither here nor there. Let me move on. Uh, 2019, Kevin Na beat Tony Finau by four at minus 13 under par, um, or minus 13. Uh, 2018, Justin Rose beat Brooks Kepka at minus 20. Uh, 2017, Kevin Kisner at minus 10 beat Spieth, Rom, and Sean O'Hare. 2016, Jordan Spieth won at minus 17 over Harris English. 2015, Chris Kirk. Um, and 2014, Adam Scott in a playoff over Jason Duffner at minus nine. So just, again, that was a lot of names to throw at you. But, you know, we have seen elite power players um, in the in at least in recent history. Guys like Kokrak, Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, not exactly your traditional, um, you know, position-based plotters that we see at places like Harbortown, Seattle, et cetera. Um, but, you know, that don't let that throw off throw you off the scent of what has traditionally been kind of the profile around Colonial, as we've seen. Again, short-hitting, um, accuracy guys that specialize in iron play and putting. We've seen Daniel Berger, Kevin Na, Kevin Kisner, Chris Kirk, even guys like Spieth and Rose. Uh, fit more of the classical short course design than like the 7,500 yard behemoths we've seen um, here in the major championship season. So um, yeah, unlike last week, I think this is a week where multiple skill sets can find success. So that's why you see, I think a lot, um, you'll see a lot of disparity, I think on different betting cards this week. I don't think there's going to be like a general consensus um, all over Twitter or anything like that. I think, you know, you can make arguments for some of the bigger hitters in the, in the field, uh, or you can make the case for some of your more traditional uh, guys that have had success at your Harbor Town, Sea Islands, uh, Valspars, Wyndhams, etc. Um, so moving down into my most important metrics. Uh, so much like the comp courses I just mentioned, Colonial ranks as one of the most difficult courses off uh, to gain strokes off the tee. Um, now it's a very different method to like an O'Kill or a winged foot, um, but it's more of a combination of like sh short holes with sharp dog legs. Um, it has the fourth most or the fourth the fourth and narrowest fairways on tour. And some of those penal rough we'll see all year um, as Colonial ranks fifth in rough penalty behind Mirfield Village, East Lake, Deer Run, and TBC Southwind. Um, so sharp dog legs, narrow fairways, penal rough equals a ton of club down. Um, got, I mean, not, not really forced layoffs, but definitely, um, yeah, definitely the opportunity to club down. And, and a lot of people, a lot of guys will be taking uh, that route and just kind of playing for position off the tee, not really wanting to, to mess with, uh, you know, wayward misses with a driver. 
Um, and so for me this week, I, I, I find it very difficult to see kind of power players separating themselves with, with pure distance as opposed to what we talked about for 30 minutes last week uh, for the PGA. Um, now with the course design forcing many players to play from kind of the same spots in the fairway, you'll see a lot of guys just laying up to, you know, 160, 150 um, and playing from the same spots. Iron play becomes an even greater factor this week. Uh, winners on average here have gained five and a half strokes to the field and approach as opposed to just 2.3 off the tee. And only two players since 2019 have managed uh, to finish better than 10th whilst losing strokes on approach uh, to the to the field. So in terms of specific proximity ranges to look out for, Colonial is very much a kind of short to mid-iron course, as you would expect. Uh, nearly two-thirds of all approach shots have come from 125 to 200 yards. Uh, so that's like pitching wedge to six iron. And only uh, with only two holes over 485 yards, uh, this is one of the few spots we've seen recently that doesn't, that doesn't really emphasize like long iron play. Um, as shots from over 200 yards account for just 14.6% of historic approach shots. It's almost half of your general tour stop. Uh, around the greens, these complexes are some of the easiest we'll see on tour, very kind of similar to Harbor Town, um, where the primary defense of Colonial uh, lies in its small landing zones. It's not really in like tricky undulation on and around the greens. Um, and so the bunkers here in particular are some of the easiest to get up and down on tour. So in general, short game isn't a metric I'm going to be looking at very heavily this week. Um, but I will say the importance of scrambling does scale up uh, with the threat of heavy winds. We saw that last weekend or last year on the weekend um, as heavy winds um, kicked up on Friday, on Saturday and Sunday. All of a sudden, your pure ball strikers started to fall back a little ways. And then guys like Brendan Todd, Scotty Scheffler, Sam Burns uh, were able to kind of cram in there <clears throat> and uh, and yeah, hold serve. And then finally, uh, the greens here are pure bent grass uh, for the third time in a row and the fourth time all season. Uh, Craig Ranch, Oak Hill, yeah, now Colonial, and then obviously Augusta National. Um, now, the, the greens here do tend to run quite fast, about 12 and a half, 13 on the stamp, uh, but they do lack, like I said, a significant, significant amount of undulation. Um, as I said earlier, the primary defense of Colonial is in the small landing zones. So if you can kind of continually hit your targets, um, from the fairway and generate looks inside 20 feet uh, guys have proven they can hold an above average percentage of putts from kind of all ranges here. So um, it's not really a, a course like Riviera or, you know, a Torrey Pines or even like an Augusta that, you know, you're really, you're really kind of, you want to leave yourself in the right spots from even four or five feet. Um, you know, it, I mean, it, they're about as straightforward here at Colonial. I feel like as they're, they are anywhere on tour. So now, statistically, putting is the second most important metric of the week uh, behind approach play, obviously. Uh, so if you did want to go just as bare bones as possible in your modeling, I would say just a roughly like 60-40 split between putting and approach metrics uh, would work just fine, which is one of the methods that I've used uh, this week. So moving on into the final model, um, and I figured I'd just kind of give you a breakdown of kind of what I'm looking at um, and the weights I'm giving each particular stat. Uh, so it's 30%, just kind of general tee to green splits from 2023. Uh, so that's the last, I actually just included the last six months, and that's just general strokes gain off the tee, strokes gain approach, uh, strokes gain tee to green, opportunities gain, basically just your bare bone stats, uh, just kind of give a, a general outlook of, uh, of a guy's profile over the last six months. 25% uh, recent iron and putting momentum. Now that's uh, over the last 24 rounds. Uh, it's a four metric model that encompasses strokes gain approach, Birdie chances created, birdies are better gained, and strokes gained putting. That's 25% um, in there. 15% is long-term proximity. I mentioned 125 to 200 uh, would be the primary stats there over the last 12 months. 
uh, 50% colonial and comp course history, which includes uh, Harbortown, Innisbrook, Sedgefield, um, Wiley, uh, Pebble Beach, and a little bit of PJ National in there as well. I noticed a little bit of correlation between those uh, courses. Um, 10% driving splits on positional tracks. So I've mentioned a lot of times on these short golf courses, I don't really give a damn like how well you drive the ball at Oak Hill. I really want to see guys that excel on the positional test. So like a Harbor Town, um, a guy that has repeatedly gained strokes off the tee there uh, means more to me than a guy that, you know, is coming off a hot driving week at Quail Hollow, except um, for, for example. And then finally is a 5% weight on long-term bent grass putting. So uh, again, a lot of words there, um, but that's just kind of what I've been weighing. Uh, generally not a lot to, not a lot to say. Let's get into the rankings. Uh, so the top 20 in my model this week, number one is Victor Hovland. Uh, just overtaking Scotty Scheffler, who was number two. Uh, Tony Finau is number three. Justin Rose is number four. Jordan Spieth is number five. Colin Morcow is six. Max Homa is seven. Tommy Fleetwood is eight. Ricky Fowler is nine. Sung Jae is ten. So pretty much no surprises. I'm pretty sure that's in some order the top ten on the odds board. Uh, but as we go past ten, it gets a little bit crazy with Tom Hoagie at 11. Uh, Fort Worth kid or Fort Worth. Um, not a, he, frog. yeah, he's a horned frog, but he, he wasn't, he was actually born in Statesville, but he actually, I think he lives in Fort Worth now. Uh, Akshay Batia is actually 12. Christian Bezaden, who does 13. Cameron Davis is 14. Eric Cole is 15. Emiliano Grillo is 16. Chris Kirk is uh, 17. Ryan Palmer is 18. Siwoo Kim is 19. And Ben Martin is 20. Uh, so that is the model. That's everything that I uh, think about Colonial. And, uh, yeah, with that being said, let's get into the betting card unless Chris has anything else he wants to add. I don't think so. I think let's, let's get right into the, to the odds board here. Cool. Um, it's funny that you brought up Hoagie, though, because I was going to point out the, the TCU Horn Frog. Yeah. I, w- I wasn't sure if, if he calls this a home course or not, being that he played, probably played there quite a bit. But He does. Uh, What's funny is he is actually horrible. He's even horrible here because uh, I – we tried to use that narrative last year at like 40, 50 to one uh, missed the cut. I think he had his worst ball striking week of the, of the year uh, last year, but he's missed three straight cuts at the Charles Schwab, like 40th, 42nd, 17th, in his previous three. So only one top 20 finish in six starts. Uh, and he's actually, I actually listened to his press comments earlier. Um, Cause it was actually the only one up. I was looking for Jordan speed. They're like Justin Rose. And it was Tom Hoagie that, that got first on the podium stand or on the mic stand. Um, and he talked about the pressure he feels um, at a, at a, and a home game like this where, you know, Tom Hoagie doesn't usually have that much attention, but you know, now he's uh, all of a sudden bombarded with friends and family uh, obviously play people that wanted to play well. And he just feels that bit of extra pressure. So that might've explained some of the results in the past. So interesting again, I get his perspective considering um, it's maybe one of the only weeks all year where like, you know, people are like really like, you know, tracking Tom Hoagie keyed and like, in on him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Are keyed in on, on how he's playing. So. Yep. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the odds board. And I think it's actually, uh, if you if you listen to both of our shows on a weekly status, this is probably the only week that I feel like it's really close to the NASCAR board. Like, I feel like it looks really similar. Where yep. We've got one guy very, very far and above everybody else, and then it's kind of clumped up pretty much after that. So, yep. obviously, Scotty, plus 450. And whether it's your sport or my sport, that is a tough price to pay. I feel like they would have to be above and beyond, like not only number one, but like very number one on your model. And you've already proved he's not. So I assume we're not going that way. Um, but 
you know, what is your kind of, do you have any discussion based on Scotty at being this, this much of a favorite or do you just want to skip right on down here? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, whenever folks will post a guy plus 450 to win a golf tournament, I'm going to pretty much every time be hands off. Um, now, if, if Scotty was, I don't know. I, I was going to say if like this was Bay Hill or like um, Phoenix where he's had a lot of success, maybe. Um, now, he did come run our career last year, but yeah, I mean, plus 450 is a, is a pretty obscene number i mean i will i mean i will concede that scotty is the best ball striker in this field um he's probably the odds on favorite to lead the field in approach which is obviously my key uh stat of the week and look i've already kind of come to terms with if he gains two or three strokes putting he's he's gonna be the man to beat and he's gonna be a very much a, a ever-present figure uh around colonial this week but um yeah definitely but th- the thing is i think when we'll, when we get into kind of the next tier uh it's not like i It'd be different if I if I felt um, a certain amount of hesitance with the next tier of like twelve to twenty to one, um, but I think you can find a lot of really really solid players, solid course fits here um, for three four times the number. So uh, for that reason, I'm obviously not going to Scotty this week. But obviously, if you um, if you want to uh, if you are one of those guys that just wants to bet one guy and you know, you want the safest bet to, to have a sweat on Sunday. Um, I can't really argue with it. It's not really going to surprise me at all if Scotty goes out or at least the field approach, finds the putter for a little bit and, and wins it by three. But um, not the direction, obviously, we're going. Absolutely. So let's move on to this next tier then. Um, we'll say four guys here. We'll say Jordan Spieth down to Colin. So Jordan Spieth, Tony Finau, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa from 12 to 16 to one here. Um, obviously, you've got, you know, Victor number one in your model, Finau at number three. Um, where is speed? Oh, five, and then Colin six. So all right there in your model as well. So, uh, yeah, how are you separating these guys? I know we don't we don't technically have a click here yet, but I know you're leaning towards one of these guys. So, yeah. So this will be one of the few episodes of the year where um, there's a lot up in the air. As of right now, I've got three bets um, officially in, and none of them are under ninety to one. So this will be a bit of a uh, this will be a bit of just a talking session in the open air. Uh, therapy session trying to figure out kind of what direction we're going uh, but I, I would I would presume at least one of these guys ends up on the card this week um, let's start with Jordan I think he's probably the safest bet uh, of the week just given first of all his colonial track record um, I mean he's a Dallas area kid uh, came to this tournament many times growing up and since 2013 he's made 10 starts here uh, no finish worse than 30 seconds in fact he has one 32nd place finish in 2018. The other nine finishes, no finish worse than 14th. As he's won in 2016, three runner-ups in 2015, 2017, and 2021. 7th, 7th, 8th, 10th, 14th. So, uh, yeah, Jordan's got a pretty damn high floor uh, at Colonial. And it did seem like the wrist injury or the wrist concerns that we were worried about post-Wells Fargo that caused him to withdraw from the Byron Nelson Um are alleviated. Uh, he finished 20 off the PGA championship, but it wasn't really the ball striking that, uh, that let him down. Gained 5.7 shots off the tee, which is the best off the tee performance Jordan Spieth has had. And I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. I'm still scrolling. Um, is it career? It might be career, Chris. <laughs> it is career. Yes, it is career. Jordan Spieth has never gained more strokes off the tee than he did at Oak Hill, um, which is absolutely insane considering i mean he's coming off a wrist injury and um he had one of the worst driving performances of his career of his uh, at least his 2023 season 
at Quail Hollow just to start before. So gained 5.7 off the tee, gained 2.7 on approach, uh, lost 3.6 with a short game putter. So that's that's pretty much like you're just bog standard by low opportunity on a guy like Spieth with course history. We've seen him do it once before this year um, at Heritage where he came off a decent master performance. I mean, it was, I mean, he finished T4, so not decent, but uh, came off good master performance. We had the concerns about maybe fatigue, uh, some injury concerns, but uh, comes back and obviously almost beats Matt Fitzpatrick. Probably should have won that tournament. It was up two with like four or five holes to play. Um, so, yeah, no qualms for anyone that wants to go that far in on speed. Um, I've seen some of my friends on Twitter, nab 16s and 14s. Uh, the best I can do is a 12, um, which I, I I don't particularly like because I can, I can find uh, better numbers on some of the other guys I'm about to talk about. So, Speed being the highest priced of the bunch is uh, is kind of his biggest strike for me. Uh, he's also one of the worst um, fairway has one of the worst fairway percentages on the PJ Tour right now. Which, uh, considering how penal Kalino's rough is, um, I that's something that is a bit of a red flag. It's as much of a red flag as you can get, I think, at, at twelve to one. Um, so, yeah, there there's ninety far ninety five percent of the metrics are in favor of speed. So. Uh, by no means is he a fade this week, but um, 12 to 1, maybe a bit of a tough row to hoe, especially um, when I can find I have a 17 to 1 right now that I'm looking at on Victor Hovland, uh, which is, I would say, right now the lead in the clubhouse for me in terms of um, a bet that I would I would consider making. I mean, we talked about his performance last week at the um, at the PGA, getting 10.6 shots on approach, um, which is, I think, a career best. Yes, it is a career best by over a shot. Um, you know, hasn't really contended. He doesn't really have the course history like a speed does. Obviously, no one he does. Um, but, you know, Tony and Colin that are in this range both have runner-ups at Colonial. Victor has two starts here, finished 21st and 23rd. Uh, but has never lost strokes off the tee, never lost strokes in approach, and never lost strokes putting here. So it's kind of been everything that you need at Colonial. He's kind of done. He just hasn't really found his way into the mix on a Sunday. Uh, like we said, he maybe blew a, a decent chance um, last year in the wind. The winds don't seem to be kicking up that high uh, this week based on preliminary forecast. And Hovland, if you look at the last, just at least recent history uh, with the irons and the putting, um, he's right there. I mean, third in the last 24 rounds on approach, ninth in birdie chances are created, 10th in birdies are better game. The only reason I think he rates out quite low in, in putting is coincidentally when the last times we bet him was, was at the Heritage uh, when he lost a career low or career worst 7.2 shots. Uh, with the putter, but has rebounded nicely since at uh, Quail and Oak Hill. So, Hobble just does everything that I think you could want at a tournament like this. I mean, he's, I mean, it's contentious who's the best iron player after Scotty Scheffler in this field, but I would, I think Hobble makes a pretty damn good case. Um, we know the driver is super reliable. Um, he's one of the few guys in the field that I would trust to maybe, um, you know, be more aggressive than, you know, your traditional colonial um, layout would, would have you believe considering the, the length and the accuracy of the combination that he can have with his driver. Um, and then he's also, unlike a Colin or a Finau, um, a much more reliable putter in my eyes from, you know, that kind of 10 to 15 foot range that I think will be really important this week. So Hovland for me, I think is, is tied with Spieth. Um, I would say like in terms of just the grand picture. Um, and if I can get Hovland for, for five points more, I think I would, I would prefer to go that direction. Um, Finau and Colin, I'm a little bit more lukewarm on, I mean, more cow has just been, he's been slowly kind of just putting along. I mean, he's, he's just, he's, he's doing what Colin does. He gains like three, four, five strokes in approach. 
Um, the driver's been decent. It's been kind of hit or miss a little bit, not been, you know, up to snuff compared to the elite levels we saw it, um, in 2021 and 2022. Um, and then the short game and putter have been a little bit, again, all over the place as well. So I think Colin just carries a bit more, a few more red flags than Victor. I can, I've seen guys get 19 and 20 to ones on, on more Cal, which I think stylistically, like this, this course makes a lot of sense for, for Colin, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to, I think, probably take a break um, for, the feel, for the foreseeable future. And then Tony, um, again, I, I think him and Victor uh, are priced pretty similarly across the board. Um, you can find kind of 16, 18 to ones is probably the top of market on both of those guys. Um, and Tony, really disappointing PGA Championship. I mean, of all the picks I made, uh, he was definitely the one that let me down, I would say, the most. Loose, I mean, he lost four shots ball striking, 4.5 shots with a putter. Um, and okay over the course of the week it was he had a little bit of a stretch on thursday afternoon where he showed some life made a few birdies but it was um <clears throat> it was pretty languid for the most part from from being out at, uh, at the pga so just not not really a lot to to like heading into the week um and then considering we're not really getting the the big discount on Finau, i'm not really gonna uh pick him over hobland or, or speed either so um yeah that was a lot of words but no clicks yet in this range um i i, I I would say Spieth 14 and Hovland like 17, 18 are both really, really solid moves uh, for whoever wants to make them. Um, but yeah, time will tell which, which direction I go. All right. So let's kind of move down here. Um, I guess we'll just do the next two. So we've got Sung Jam and Max Homa 18 and 22 to one um, before we get to a much bigger range in the 25 to 30 range here. So let's, we'll stop with this, these guys here, Sung Jay and Homa. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sungjae, uh, I think I mentioned last week how he was maybe one of the safest bets on the entire board, depending on like top 20. Him and Xander were kind of like one, two in terms of the team all safety. Uh, that obviously did not pan out at the PGA. Uh, lost 3.3 shots in approach, 3.6 of the putter. Uh, pretty sure he ended the tournament like 10 or 13 over par uh, through two rounds. So not a great spell to kill. Nothing I thought Sungjae was going to win at O'Kill, but uh, definitely – there's a bit of a wrench into the run he was on. Um, I think Colonial is a, is a fine fit for Sungjae. He has a very similar uh, kind of course history to, to Hovland where he hasn't really contended for a win yet. Uh, but in four starts, he has two missed cuts, but a 15th and a 10th there as well. Um, I think Sungjae could rebound quite nicely, but uh, I'm not, again, it, it would take like a pretty severe discount for me to, for me to pick him over kind of the top four. I think he's a, he's a step or two behind. Um, your speeds, your Hovlands, and even your Collins and Finals. So, um, and then Max is, is kind of very much the same way. I think this is this is the this is the range I'm kind of lukewarm on. I would rather um, either pay up for one of my top kind of four or five guys, um, or I would rather maybe save a bit um, in the kind of twenty to thirty range. But Homa, we're just not really getting the consistent iron play we saw at the start of the year. It feels like it's kind of one step forward, two steps back as things stand right now for Max. So. Um, until he's, until he shows that he's, um, he's kind of back to the consistent ball striker we saw when he was, you know, winning the farmers and top twoing the Genesis, um, you know, and can kind of contending every single week. Um, you know, the complete game is there, um, when everything's firing, but I just haven't seen enough from the all around game yet, um, to really tout max here. So, um, yeah, for me, he's, he's probably my, the one I have the least amount of interest in, in terms of even in the prop markets. Um, I just kind of want to wait and see on Hoa. Um, but Sungjae, if you want to put like a top 20 in, um, I think he's, he's due for a rebound. I'm just not going to bet him at 18 to one to, to win the tournament. 
All right. So let's move to this kind of a big range here in the 20s. So from Sam Burns down to Tommy Fleetwood, we've got uh, Sam Burns 25, Justin Rosa 28, Ricky Fowler 28, Tommy Fleetwood 28, and then we'll throw in Cam Davis at 30 before we have a big jump to 40 here. So yep. uh, I know there's at least probably two guys in this range that really strike your fancy. So, um, yeah, who are you leaning towards? Um, and, you know, what do you got to say about these other guys? Any, any more fades or, or just just more potential clicks? Uh, to be honest, yeah. The, I mean, you, you said two. I would say I would say four. Uh, the only one I'm really not interested in is actually defending champion Sam Burns, um, who I, I just don't really understand the stylistic fit with, with Burns um, at a golf course like this. I feel like I feel like Burns excels more in kind of easier score conditions when um, you know he can kind of utilize his driver and utilize the power that he has off the tee. Um, but obviously Burns is always alive to, to gain seven, eight strokes putting and, and kind of be there. But in terms of like a TD green profile, I think he fits this course the worst um, funnily enough for the defending champion. Um, but yeah, when you get past 28 to one, this four pack of Rose Fowler Fleetwood Davis um, occupies a lot of my headspace right now. Uh, we'll start, I suppose with Rose who I think is going to be pretty damn popular this week. He's a guy that, when you talk about a short course, uh, positional um, emphasis on iron play and putting, um, I talked about kind of that preliminary iron slash putting model that I ran for the stroke gain approach. Birdie chances created, strokes gain putting, birdies are better gained. Uh, he rated fourth right behind kind of Scheffler, Spieth, and one other name I'll get to later. Um, but, yeah, he's doing everything super, super well right now. The only real kind of um, wart on Rose's profile right now would be the driver. Um, but this is a guy that won at Pebble Beach, uh, kind of another short core there, of course, whilst losing strokes off the tee. He lost nearly a half a stroke off the tee and still won at Pebble Beach. That just goes to show how solid the rest of his game is with the irons. Uh, and with the putter, he's gained on approach in his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten starts uh, on the PJ Tour. Uh, he's gained strokes putting <clears throat> in seven of his last nine. So, yeah, everything's really kind of firing for Rose right now. Um, and I feel like at a, at a place like this, again, he's won at Pebble Beach. He's won here before in 2016. He's always He always feels like he's in the mix of the players and places like uh, Harbor Town. So uh, kind of positional short test like this, I think, suits Rose's skill set really, really well. So for a guy playing as well as he is, he you know, he's got 9th, 25th, 16th, 36th, 6th, two months cuts at 1st and 18th in his last, what's that, nine starts. So. Um, yeah, he's clearly on, on a bit of a career renaissance and, um, again, we're getting a bit of a discount here at kind of 28, 30 to one. So I, I do like Rose, um, Fowler is the name that I left out of the Rose Scheffler Spieth top four at the top of this iron play slash putting preliminary model Fowler last 24 rounds, seventh on approach, 15th and birdie chances graded 12th and birdies better gained and 22nd putting, um, Rose and, I think, yeah, Rose is the only player uh, in the field that can claim to be in the top 25 in all four of those metrics as well. So from a ball striking and putting standpoint, like Fowler rates out kind of well. I was hoping we could maybe get a bit of a value off the miscut of the PGA. Um, I still trust Rose more to close the deal than I do Fowler, so that's kind of what holds me back at the same price uh, when we're talking about kind of doing head-to-head on outrights. But um, everything I'm looking at think says Fowler could have a really, really solid week this week, so. Um, obviously less extensive Charles Schwab history, but does have a fifth place finish here in 2012. 
Um, but obviously Rose a bit more successful. Over the long term here at Colonial, Fleetwood, uh, very much in the same vein as he's kind of the hybrid between Rose and Fowler because like Rose, he doesn't really have a lot of holes in the profile. Uh, but like Fowler, do you really trust Tommy Fleetwood to win at 28 to one? Um, I feel like there's been a lot of kind of green light Fleetwood spots in 2023 already. And he hasn't really gotten it done. I thought Dallas Bar was the, was the spot for him. Obviously made a bad bogey on 14 and came third there. Um, you know, has three straight top twenties, um, at Harbortown, Quay Hollow and, and Oak Hill gain strokes from T to green and with a putter, um, and all three of those starts. So, yeah, I mean, Fleetwood's doing, he's doing a lot, right. It's just, do you want to bet him at 33 to one or 30, 33 to one? Um, when guys like Rose are sitting right there. So, um, yeah. So for me, if you couldn't tell Rose is my, Rose is kind of the favorite guy for me, at least in this range. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Cameron Davis because this is a heartbreaking number for me uh, because Davis is a guy that we've consistently leaned on um, on these shorter venues, even though he's a bit of a, you know, even though he's a bomber, he's a power player. Um, this is a guy that has, if I can look up his stats real quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a guy that has back-to-back top seven finishes at Harbor town. You know, he finished eighth of the John Deere. He finished seventh here at the Charles Schwab last year. Um, Gaines had one of his best TD green weeks of the season to the, to date at Wiley. Uh, gained 4.5 off the tee, 2.9 on an approach there. Uh, winner on him at Sony. So six points to the players. Like I said, um, another comp course. So when it comes to these short positional venues, Davis is one of the few guys that tends to be able to drive the ball extraordinarily well. Um, and he just, he's coming off one of his best ball striking weeks of his career at the PGA Championship. Came fourth place uh, at Oak Hill, gaining 9.9 uh, between this, the driver and the irons. So. Yeah, it all seems to be coming coming up pretty well for Davis. I've seen some pretty uh, gaudy numbers. It's um, early in the week at like 50, 60 to 1. I unfortunately never really had access to a number like that. So I obviously completely endorse if you can get something above 50. Uh, 30, again, is a, is a really hard number to swallow. Uh, so for me, I'm I'm going to maybe try to look in the live market, see if we can't catch uh, him off a slow starter just to kind of see um, how he gets on. So um yeah, I, I'd like the profiles of, of four or five, four of the five guys in this range. Um, but Rose being my favorite, I think you can you can draw some some pretty distinct question marks in the actual win equity, how that lines up with a dollar at 28 to one, a Fleetwood at 28, and a Cameron Davis at 30. Uh, but Rose, 33 to one, probably one of the safer bets um, on the board as, as is present constructed. Yeah, and I had, I had even brought to you before we even started recording that, you know, uh, Someone we, we reference quite often in this podcast is Rick Rungood, and even he has Justin Rose as number one in his kind of like course comparable model here mm-hmm. um, from a strokes gained comparison. So like you said, probably better to get in on, in on Rose earlier rather than later because it sounds like it might be popular. Um, but yeah, so let's keep going down the board here. Um, how far? We're 47 minutes in. So we're, we're doing good on time. All right. So let's do the 40s. I'll, I'll do the 40s and 50s here. So Chris Kirk, Russell Henley, Siwoo Kim, Kirk Kitayama, Minwoo Lee, Tom Hoagie is the 40s and 50s. So we already talked about Hoagie a good bit. Minwoo, man, Minwoo, he seems to kind of keep flashing. Kirk flashed again at a, at a major championship. Um, yeah, that's about all I got from these kind of group of guys here. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have much more, to be honest with you. For, for me, I feel like, um, like yeah, they, they, some of them possess pretty compelling profiles, but I would – I just I think there's a kind of a gap after 30 to one 
Um, I do like Henley. I think Henley's a guy that profiles really well for a course like this. We talk, we talk about all the time at Sedgefield, Harbortown. He just won at Mayakoba, another short venue, positional venue, uh, last fall. One of the most accurate drivers, I think actually the most accurate driver on, on tour right now, 70% driving accuracy percentage in 2023. Um, and the Irons have, have started to come back for Russ, which is, um, which is obviously his primary calling card. Uh, but over the last three starts, gained 3.7, 3.9. Uh, and actually, I don't have his master's numbers because that is proprietary. Here we go. Uh, actually, the master's stats, um, yeah, he's actually pretty neutral on the field and approach, but he gained a lot with his um, with a short game in his putter, but still finished fourth at the master's. So it seems like Henley has kind of turned that corner. He had a bit of a lull to start the year uh, kind of after that win, went miscut 30th, 32nd, miscut, miscut 53rd. Um, but 19th the players, 4th the Masters, 19th the Heritage. Um, did miss the cut on the number last week at Oak Hill, but again, a 7,500-yard par 70, not exactly. Um, you know, golf course you'd expect Russell Henley to really contend at. I think this is kind of right up his alley in terms of a short positional venue where driving accuracy and iron play are kind of at the forefront there. So um, I don't blame anyone for, for going in on Henley at like a 40, 45 to 1. Uh, Kirk... I'm just not seeing a ton for the with the recent ball striking. Um, he's popped up in like the top twenty and thirty in some in some events, but um, yeah, I don't really trust the uh, the upside with the ball striking enough there to to tell him to win. Uh, Siwoo, very very kind of similar, where he's been pretty sporadic um, over the course of 2023. We've seen the highs, we've seen the lows with Siwoo Kim, and he has a pretty brutal um, colonial track record here as well. Um, I can pull that up here real quick. Uh, there we go. Yeah. So yeah, he's missed four or five cuts. Uh, Colonial with a 66. His only make his only made cut. So we've seen Siwoo. Even though I feel like stylistically this does set up quite well for him, um, but we've seen Siwoo kind of have his venues where he has success, um, and he tends to kind of carry over uh, the poor form as well. Um, whenever he kind of finds a venue that he <clears throat> doesn't find or doesn't uh, find a particular liking to, so. Uh, for me, of the 40 to ones, Henley would be the most compelling to me. Um, 50 to one, Kitayama coming off a really, really nice um, PGA Championship, finished T4, gained 8.7 shots in approach, uh, which I believe is his, again, best ever um, approach week. So, again, Kitayama, I feel like, pops up a bit more at the polar opposite venues where driver, power off the tee, long iron play is more paramount. Um, we've yet to see him really pop at one of these kind of short course uh kind of old school traditional venues so um for me the stylistic fit isn't quite there but if you want to kind of just go off of the the play from last week i i mean 50 to 1 seems like a pretty decent price for a guy that just won a bay hill uh, a couple months ago uh min Wu, chris's boy uh actually probably the the name so far that i would be outlining the most is a fade uh just because the the number one the number one metric that I, I weight this week is iron play. And Minwoo was objectively like a atrocious iron player. He's lost strokes and approaches last six starts. Uh, we thought we had maybe a bit of a, of a light in the tunnel there with a, with a hot run through the, to the winter swing in Australia. Uh, but since he's come on the PGA tour, pretty putrid iron numbers, despite some, some top finishes of players at places like uh, Sawgrass and, and um, Oak Hill. Um, so yeah, if Minwoo's going to win, it feels like it's going to be at, a long difficult track where he can, he can utilize his power off the tee in a short game. Um, I think you're going to have to, like I said, you're going to have to gain strokes at least three or four, I think off the tee to have a real chance here. I don't think that's in range of outcomes as of now. And then Tom Hoagie, 50 to one, the local boy. Um, I think 
very much like, I mean, we talked about guys like Henley and Morikawa um, and Sung Jae being stylistic fits here. I don't, I don't think Tom Hoagie's any different. Any different. Uh, another guy that his, his main strength is the iron play. He tends to keep the ball in play pretty well off the tee. Um, can make a ton of birdies when he gets hot, but um, you look over his last few starts, we just haven't really seen the ceiling iron play from Hoagie. He did finish third of the players, gaining 8.9 in approach, but since then, miscut of the Masters, miscut of the Heritage, 43rd of the Nelson, and 58th at the PGA Championship. He hasn't gained more than two strokes in approach in any of those starts. So it feels like the shine's a little bit off of Hoagie. Um, so, yeah, that's that's all I've really got for that 50-1. to one. Um, Compelling price, but I haven't seen enough life as of uh, – in the recent ball striking to, to warrant a play there. All right. So we are 52 minutes in and we haven't even talked about official, any official clicks yet. So let, let me go ahead and throw it to you for the three guys that you have made clicks on. And then we'll end it out with author two or three names at you. And we'll, we'll talk about those, but you got some real deep cuts here as your yeah. official clicks. So let's hear them. Yeah, so I, I actually – and I think part of the reason I'm, I've been a little bit gun-shy at the top of the board is because I, I really like a lot of these names at the bottom. Um, I've been pretty lukewarm, as we talked about, kind of the 40 to, like, 60 range. I'm I'm pretty, again, lukewarm on, on a lot of those guys. But I like the top a lot, and I like the back of the board a lot. So starting at 90-1 to 1 is my first click of the week. Um, I've got three bets in right now, and I've got a few more that, um, to Chris's point, we can talk about uh, when we get into, like, even the deeper cuts. So 90 to 1 is where I start my card. I start my card with Christian Bezenhu, which I think this is actually the first time I might have ever touted him on flag hunting. Um, as you know, his profile isn't exactly one that I normally am drawn to. Um, you know, over the long term, Bezenhu is a below average ball striker who kind of relies on a short game uh, to kind of keep pace. But the good news is when you have that built in baseline with your short game, is when you start to see progression with a ball striking. Um, it gives you a really enticing kind of floor ceiling combination because he's a guy that has routinely kept his tour card and had success and made money through the putter with a short game. So whenever you start to see the irons heat up, the driver heat up, all of a sudden, you know, it's a really, really compelling all around profile. We've seen it with most recently Cam Smith, excuse me, who was for years kind of, I mean, we talked about the Cam Smith versus Cam Davis, like young kid out of Australia. Uh, narrative who Davis is the ball striker. Cam Smith was kind of the, the scrappy short game kid um, that had some real holes in the ball striking. But once Cam turned the corner with the approach play, he became the second best player in the world in, in very short order. And I think Bezettenhut is not really on that kind of trajectory. He's a bit um, obviously a bit older than Cam Smith, so maybe a bit farther down the uh, the development curve. But I'm excited what, what I've seen over the last two months uh, with Cbez. He's gained an average of 4.3 shots on approach. Uh, per tournament over his last five starts uh, going running down through each individual tournament. Uh, he gained 4.4 last week at the PGA championship. He gained 4.3 on approach at the Byron Nelson 4.2 at the RBC heritage 5.1 at Valero and 3.5 at the players, uh, which is really, really phenomenal iron spots, particularly for like a below average ball striker, like Bazaden Hoot um, as those were his fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, and 11th best iron iron weeks of his entire career, um, all in very, very short order. So it seems like he's taking a real step forward with the iron play. You combine that with the progression he's made with the driver. Now, Bezayden Hoops historically was – I mean, this was the Achilles heel for Christian. He was – he's never been a power player, and he's – for a decent time on the European tour, he was also pretty inaccurate off the tee. So he was, he was one of the worst kind of total – over or overall total drivers of the ball um, 
we had in world golf, but he currently sits inside the top 40 in driving accuracy on tour. Um, and so even though he's not ever going to overpower a golf course, like a Rom or Kepka, DJ, some of the more physically imposing players on tour, but the strides he's made in driving accuracy make him a real threat. I think at, at a golf course like colonial where really you really don't have only have one objective off the tee and that's to keep the ball out of the rough within the tree lines in the fairway and set up your approach play and the rest of your game. So I like that from, from Zayden who I like that driving profile from him. And then when you talk about, obviously we, we shift away from the progressive where the ball striking and some of the, the known commodities with the Zayden Hood's game, he's the second best bet grass putter uh, over the last four seasons on the PGA tour. Uh, he's gained an average of 0.8 shots per round on the surface since the start of 2020. And don't forget last year, despite finishing 15th, he actually started last year's final round, just three shots of a hair of honors lead um, on Sunday morning. So if the ball strike can continue to generate birdie looks, and that was when he was a far, at least coming with far worse form um, all around from TD green uh, than he comes in with this week. So if, if that ball strike, if those ball striking trends continue and he can continue to generate birdie looks inside 15, 20 feet, um, I think he can take a, a big step uh, towards that maiden PGA tour victory. Uh, keep in mind, he's, he's won uh, a couple times on the European tour on the sunshine tour in Africa. So, this is a guy that's world traveled. He's he very much kind of falls in that European um, um, development curve where they're maybe a little bit older heading into the states, uh, but are maybe more battle hardened um, on some of the lower tours over there. So I like Bizet ninety to one. I think is a really nice number for for the course fit you get and uh, the form he's shown recently. Moving on to hundred to one, my second move of the week. I'm mainly on a Grio. So Grio, on the other hand, is a profile that you will be very familiar with <laughs> as far as me touting. I think if we go through every card I've ever built on this damn show, it feels like we've had some iteration of a million Grio on it. Um, he's very much in the Colin Morikawa, Corey Connors mold of elite ball striking, forever neutered by a bulky putter. Um, but it seems like Grio's found a, found a very similar formula on the greens that netted him so many near misses in the back half of 2022. Um, he's gained strokes putting now in five of his last six starts and he's gained, uh, a total of 19 shots in approach in three starts prior to the PGA championship. So that's an average of 6.33 per tournament. That is world-class iron play from Grio. Um, and yeah, if I can pull this up real quick. Yeah. So PG or let me just run through each start. Wells Fargo gained 5.8 on approach Mexico open 9.6 and then 3.6 in the seventh place finish of the heritage. Um, he comes now to a venue that should be tailor-made for a precision-based play style. We talked about with Colin, Sanjay, Henley, et cetera. Uh, but Grew had a seventh-place finish last month at Colonial's number one contract in Harbortown. He's come close twice over his last five starts here at the Schwab. He came eighth in 2021 and third in 2018. Um, and Grew is a guy that, you know, when he when the game comes together, he has shown that he can, you know, can, can contend at the top of some of these leaderboards. He has seven – I'm sorry, six top sevens over the last 11 months on tour. Um, so he's not afraid. He's not one of those guys that, you know, is consistently kind of 19th to 35th. He, when things kind of roll for Grio, um, he has a shot to win. So even though he's only won one time on the PJ tour, I love, I love what I'm seeing from the, from the underlying stats. Um, and a hundred to one, I'm, I'm more than willing to roll the dice here on the, uh, on the Argentinian. So those are my two main, uh, quote unquote clicks at 90 and a hundred to one. Um, I'll just kind of go ahead and spout my last one. It's, it's a, I mean, it, I'm not going to call it a throwaway, but it's 350 to one. Uh, it's a bit more a fun punt than, than anything else. But Carson Young is, is the final official bet I made literally just $7.50 at 350 to one. Um, but 
yeah, Carson Young is sneakily registered three top 20 finishes on the PGA Tour. And his last four starts, he's getting an average of 2.8 shots in approach and 1.5 strokes putting in the process. Um, notably, uh, one of those starts was obviously at our number one concourse at, at Harbor Town. He gained seven shots ball striking and 19th place finish there. Followed that up with a 7.1 uh, strokes gained ball striking and a 15th place finish at the Mexico Open. And then four and then 7.3 shots gained from TD Green and a 14th place finish at the Byron Nelson. Now, uh, he also rates out um, – very well in terms of driving accuracy. He's ninth, He's 18th in this field in fairways uh, in fairways gained. Um, but the thing that really I guess, caught my attention this week was uh, his performance at the U.S. Open qualifier just an hour down the road in Northwood. Uh, so he played, uh, I think, probably the first U.S. Open uh, sectional qualifier of the year. I haven't heard of another one since, but uh, it was played at Northwood and Bentry in Dallas. Uh, Carson went 63-62 in two rounds um, at a U.S. Open qualifier, which is pretty – they tend to be pretty difficult conditions, um, and smashed a field by five. That include tour regulars like Sergio Garcia, Austin Eckert, Ryan Palmer, Brandon Wu, Will Gordon, Brett Grant, uh, C.T. Pan, Doug Gim, many more. So it's a long shot to see if you can carry that momentum forward um, into competition this week, but at 350-1, to one, I – I don't think there's many players on this range that are feeling better about their games than, than uh, Carson Young is. So um, for me, it's worth the, the lunch money punt on a, on a guy like Young, and we'll see if we can can spike one of the biggest uh, tickets I've personally ever had to, to date. So uh, yeah, that's all the that's all the moves I made. Uh, that equates to a total of three units out of our traditional like 17 or 18. So still plenty of um, yeah, still plenty of, of obviously room in the budget moves to be made. Um, but hopefully kind of the last hour or so have given you some insights on directions I'm leaning. Obviously the card will be posted probably tomorrow. Um, and uh, hopefully that helps y'all make some decisions. So what, how uh, short of a number are you willing to go on Carson Young? Cause I just happened to look at his Bovada number and it's a lot shorter than what we have. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think once he gets into the range of like uh, some of my favorite long shot outrights, like a Sam Stevens or an Akshay Batia or even like an Austin Eckroat, I feel like. The exact range he's in. He's 125 to one right now in the exact range of those guys. Yeah. I I think I would put him fourth behind those guys to be quite honest with you. Uh, So if, I I don't know what the best number is out there. Let me actually check real quick. I know there was a couple books. There was four books this afternoon that had him at 350 to one. Um, I know at least one of them have has suppressed that number. I think anything over 200 is, is a perfectly reasonable number for Carson Young. Uh, but you can still get him at 250 at Caesars, Bet Rivers, Points Bet, and Unibet. So if you have one of those four books uh, or know someone that has one of those four books, then, uh, yeah, I, I endorse the 250 to one. I, I mean, you, there's not that much difference um, in terms of, like, the amount of money you have to bet when it comes down to, like, even a 100-point swing from 350 to 250. So, um yeah, I think yeah. After like after the, the range I just mentioned with the Stevens, the Batias, um, and the Eckroats, I think he's probably for me the most compelling by far uh, in that kind of two hundred range and beyond. All right, so I just want to ask. Uh, I mean, I have potentially three names here, but the main one I really wanted to ask about that I've, I haven't really seen a lot of action on this week, but I've seen an action on him for the last two weeks, and he continues to keep surprising me. Yeah. Eric Eric Cole, this kid. I don't even know if he's a kid, but whatever he is, he keeps – he's got, I think, three top 25s 
-hmm. the last four starts. Um, I don't think he was on your shortlist necessarily. I don't think he was in your model though. So like what 14th or so in your model, Mm -hmm. um, he's at 80 to one. So what do you kind of have on, on kind of his profile? I like it. I like it a lot. Um, Cole's a guy that I think rates out really well in some of my key metrics. He has some kind of glaring weaknesses, particularly off the tee. Um, but the approach number has been really, really good. He's gained two shots per tournament on uh, on approach over his last 10 starts. Um, he's gained over a stroke per tournament on the greens over his last 10 starts. So he kind of does everything you would you would want. I, the, the only real hesitation I have with Eric Cole is we haven't – quite seen um like the recent ball striking ceiling he had obviously his career best ball striking week at the honda when he came running up to chris kirk um but it's been a lot of like plus one plus two plus threes um which is enough to get you again enough to get you top 25s and top 30s but in terms of actual you know having the ceiling outcome to actually win an event like this um for me i'm i'm more smitten with i'm gonna bring him up for like the third time but an akshay Bhatia or sam stevens who have proven multiple times over the last two months, they can gain five, six, seven shots on approach uh, and maybe lead the field in approach. And, um, you know, maybe have, they have a little, they have a few more questions with the putter, but if everything goes right on the greens for a week, like we saw with Bati at Mexico, like we saw Stevens at Valero. Um, I think they're just a bit, they just carry a bit more of a ceiling uh, than Eric Cole. So I think he's a solid floor play. I think, you know, if you want to put like a top 40, top 20 in on Eric Cole, uh, playing with DraftKings, that's, that's fine. Uh, but in terms of the outright, outright win markets um i'm a little more hesitant compared to some of the the trendier names below him so all right so yeah you said a lot about body and edgar and all this guys, so i don't want to bring those up but you did mention a name that always piques my interest ryan palmer 80 to 1 same price yeah well it's funny i think if um we've gotten a little bit of negative drift on palmer he opened at like 125 hmm. um if he was still there it would be a lot more of a different story. I feel like 80 to one's a bit, a bit uh, of a bridge too far for Palmer, but obviously for those that don't know, uh, Ryan Palmer is a member at colonial country club. Um, so, you know, you can say you can do with the, you can do with those narratives, what you wish. Um, he does have, again, he's made 13 starts here, but he does have four finishes inside the top six. So very, very capable of, of contending here. Um, you look at his last starts at um, at the Byron Nelson in Texas, three point four strokes gained on on off the tee, five point three gained on approach, point nine around the greens. Finished eighth, was very much in the mix for a lot of that week. So coming back to friendlier confines, he had he didn't play the PGA Championship, had the week to to stay here in the uh, the Greater Dallas area. I like Palmer a lot. I think Palmer actually represents a a solid value from get him like in the 125 range. Um, so yeah, he is on my shortlist for sure. Uh, in terms of long shots, I think he's right up there with a Sam Stevens, a uh, Akshay Bhatia, and I'll, I'll I'll name one more guy kind of in the Ryan Palmer mold that I'm looking at for maybe a live ad or if I can get a trending or get a nice number three tournament. Sepp Straka, uh, who I think is 80 to 1 on Bovada, uh, but you can find numbers in the hundreds uh, on some other sites. But Straka is a guy that's the th- <laughs> he's the opposite of your you know traditional like high floor kind of very consistent golfers like your Sung Jay's or your Xanders like Sep is very much feast or famine but when everything comes together for Sep like he's proven he can win um he's proven he can win much bigger tournaments than this um by you know obviously he won the Honda Classic but 
third of the Heritage last year at a comp course at, in Harbortown. Obviously came second at TBC Southland, another kind of shorter uh, course in the Southeast. Second at the Sanderson Farms. Uh, fifth at the Honda Classic again this year. And then I guess most notably last week, uh, led the field on approach. 10.4 strokes gained on approach at Oak Hill last week. Finished seventh in the tournament. Uh, by far his best iron week of all time. Uh, so obviously, ideally, we would like step maybe a bit more on Bermuda, which is where he's had more success um, in recent history, but he's actually a better bent grass putter in the long term, uh, slightly over Bermuda. So I, I, I think Straka, again, is a guy that you're going to know pretty early, um, kind of what you're going to get. I feel like he's a guy that could go out there and shoot 64 on, on day one, or he could go out there and uh, he could be out of the tournament in like four holes. So for me, he's a, he's a guy that I think is a, is a pretty clear name uh, to look at early on because I think if he carries over that same momentum that we saw at Oak Hill, uh, he's a very dangerous player and he can he can stare at anybody on a, on a potential Sunday. So uh, Strzok is a guy that I have a, a pretty uh, close eye on, uh, as well as Steven Yeager, who is a guy that we touted at the, the Byron Nelson. Back to Jordan, 11th place finish there. I had him top 40 last week at the uh, at the PGA Championship. He broke my heart. I think he shot 76 on Sunday to, to ruin that ticket, uh, finished 50th there. But the TD Green play continues to be sublime. Uh, from Steven Yeager, it's been plus 6.1, plus 4.3, plus 8.6, plus 10.5. A um, little bit of a blip at the Heritage, but then plus 4.4, 4.1, 8.1, 4.9. 1, like, those are legitimately, like, upper echelon, like, top 20 players in the world, like, type of underlying stats. So, um, it really just kind of comes down to, for Jaeger, if the putter can line up with this kind of TD Green run he's been on, um, coincidentally, we actually were on him the week that he gained four strokes putting, but the approach play kind of took a bit, a bit of a nosedive. So, um, I mean, this is a, he was a prolific winner on the Corn Ferry Tour. I think he won five times in four seasons on the Corn Ferry. Uh, hasn't quite broken three on the PGA Tour, but you can find him at 75, 80 to one, I think, at most sites um, this week. So, for those kind of those kind of stats, like I, I, I do like that profile, obviously, on, on Jaeger. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of names at the back of the board I like, which is kind of difficult because uh, i'm used to just kind of writing a lot of these guys off and um concentrate my efforts at the top and i think uh obviously we got we got cbez and brio um as two of my favorite moves but certainly um even if i were to click you know two of the guys below 30 to one um i'm gonna make sure to leave some room uh for sure to see uh to monitor some of my favorite uh favorite long shots as the week goes on all right well i think we talked about Plenty of names here. Um, so as Ian said, you know, we're only three units in at this point. So plenty to come. But, um, you know, big leans on uh, Hovland, Rose, um, plenty of guys deep down the board. Uh, we might come might come back up. So I guess really it's probably going to be two of the guys we talked about in that um, 14 to 30 range, probably two in there. And then it'll either be what three guys really deep, or come back to the top one more, for one more in that range. So, right, yep, yeah. It and would, then uh, obviously, and then obviously, probably a little room for a live out as well. Is what it seems yeah, like. yeah. Pre-tournament, I'll, I'll probably it'll be one or two names, like you said, under, under thirty. Um, and then yeah, like like I said, I, I think the more the week goes along, the less I want to like really dive in deep pre-tournament, like down the board. I feel like I've got my two guys. Um, at 90 and 100 to one that I like in Grio and, and Bazaden Hoot. So, uh, if I can save like two units for live ads, that um, could potentially, I could potentially just pick my favorites because the thing with these guys at 100 
150 to one is they're down here for a reason. They're super inconsistent, super volatile. So, um, you know, oftentimes you can kind of maybe save a little, little bit of money, uh, even if you are end up eating a worse number than you would have pre-tournament. Just the fact that you save the money on a potential bust, right? Because if you bet one guy 80, it's less, it's less expensive than betting two guys at 125, if that makes sense. So uh, that's kind of the route I think I'm going to end up going uh, and then probably probably um, focus most of my attention, like I said, uh, at the top for the, for the pre-tournament card. All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this week. Um, yeah. Let's, let's get it in the wind column, Ian. We're, we're long overdue. So let's, this feels like a good, this feels like a good weekend to make it happen. So with that being said, guys, we will talk to you guys next week.